Welcome to Bella Figura, the tradition of living beautifully. I am your host, Dolores Alfieri Taranto. On this show, we talk spirituality for the rest of us, with a focus on the art of beautifying all facets of your life, using heritage, culture, beauty by hand, ancestral traditions, and old world style as a means to do so. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I am currently awaiting, along with the rest of the East Coast, a big winter storm. Growing up, I remember whenever it started to snow, my mother would be in the kitchen baking. And I'll tell you that thing that they say, as we get older, we turn into our mothers is indeed the truth. Because here I am, the snow hasn't even started yet. But I I guess in anticipation, I've already made some sourdough whole wheat einkorn bagels for breakfast this morning and I have a savory mushroom parmesan galette in the oven so someone needs to pull me out of this kitchen before the snow actually starts I either do not feel like baking or cooking or I want to bake and cook everything My husband always says I need to find some kind of middle ground, but I'm afraid that isn't uh, so much my personality. (laughs) I think that's a good dovetail into today's guest, Roz Bayam Shaw. She is the perfect guest to add to this season's theme of home. And she is also my first guest from across the pond. She is British, and I will tell you a little bit more about her in a few minutes here. But before I do that, let's take a minute to talk about wine. If you've been listening to the season, you have heard me talk about dry farm wines, and I've been telling you how much I love these wines and encouraging you to join me in enjoying them. So many of you have done so, and I'm really grateful and really excited that I was able to introduce you to these organic, biodynamic, low alcohol, low sugar wines, because they are clean and they align with the things that we value. And I think that that's really important in this life to put our money where our mouth is, and to actually live as we want to, to the best of our ability. And that includes what we eat and definitely what we drink. You can use the link created especially for Bella Figura listeners. And if you use that link, you will get a bottle for just a penny in your first order. Now, I like to be direct with everyone, of course, Is dry farm wines more expensive than the wine you're gonna buy off the shelf at the supermarket? Absolutely, because clean organic wines that have no added sugar are really hard to find, especially here in the United States. When you buy a bottle off the shelf for $9.99 or even oftentimes for much more than that, you are buying a bottle that is loaded with sugar and it's loaded with chemicals, many of which the creators of the wine do not even have to legally list. You can have peace of mind knowing that when you pop open a bottle, all you're about to enjoy is goodness, pure organic goodness where the only ingredient 
is grapes. Personally, I have found that that is worth the extra 15 or so bucks without a doubt and without hesitation. I will pay more for quality and for purity. So you can use my link created especially for my listeners here of Bella Figura podcast, dryfarmwines.com forward slash Bella Figura to get your penny bottle in your first order. That's dryfarmwines.com forward slash Bella Figura. And of course, I will link to that in the show notes. And just a reminder as well that my Etsy shop is open. You can find items that align with the things we discuss in this show, jewelry that aligns, vintage items, and I also have a wide selection of my prints, my still life prints, many of which I post on Instagram. And if you're not following me over on Instagram, you should. My handle is at Dolores underscore Alfieri underscore Taranto. And if you want to check out the Etsy shop, it is etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash Bella Figura store. I know that's a lot to remember, so I will link to it in the show notes. But definitely, if you're enjoying the show, you're going to enjoy many of the things that I am offering over in my shop. Etsy.com forward slash shop slash Bella Figura store. Now, I am thrilled to introduce today's guest, Roz Byam Shaw, is a freelance journalist and writes on design and interiors for the World of Interiors, House and Garden, and the Saturday Telegraph, among others. She is the author of Old House, New Home, Perfect English, Perfect English Farmhouse, and English Eccentric, as well as Pharaoh and Ball Living with Color and Pharaoh and Ball Decorating with Color. Roz lives in Devon with her husband and dog. I was so excited when Roz agreed to be a guest on the show. I have spent many a morning with my cup of coffee flipping through her beautiful books. They are inspirational with a cozy, creative, old world design aesthetic where she travels the world and visits these beautiful homes. And I have just taken so much inspiration from her work that to be able to speak with her one-on-one was really very exciting. As you'll see, she is a perfectly lovely guest. And I think that you will really take a lot of wonderful perspectives away from this episode. Okay, let's jump into the conversation. Roz, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure. This is such a treat right now. I have a bunch of your books and I have spent many mornings with my cup of coffee, just flipping through them for inspiration. So this is, this is really wonderful to have you here with me. I have to say before we start, it was very difficult to find information about you on the internet. And I find that very impressive. <laughs> and I have to say, I said, how, I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking because, you know, I, I always do research before my guests yeah. come on and I'll read interviews, yeah. I'll listen to interviews and, and et cetera. I'll go to their website. And I thought she has done a wonderful job of keeping all of this so private. I don't know if it's on purpose, but really all I know about you is your work. Okay, well, I think it's wonderful. 
<laughs> yep. Generally speaking, that's how I like to keep it. I, mm. I mean, I do, I have an Instagram account. Right. Your Instagram, uh, but that's yeah. also very focused on your work. It's, 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 um, doesn't it really, is. you know, right. Yeah. It doesn't reveal too much about your private life. You did speak about your mother recently passing my condolences. We talked about that a little bit before we started recording. Yes, but still it's your work. So please continue. I think I am actually quite a private person. I, I'm always surprised. I surprised myself in a way by the way I plaster my house all over Instagram. Sometimes I think to myself, what a strange thing to do. You know, <laughs> photograph of my kitchen out there for 36,000 people or however many followers I've got. I, I am I am quite private. I suppose I it is absolutely on purpose that I don't have a very big um, presence. I've never had Facebook. Um, Instagram really is my only online presence. The shop is about to have a website, but uh, I mean, it's lovely to talk to you. And I, I mean, obviously, I realise this is this is going to be broadcast to a, a select audience. Uh, but I don't know, there's just something about putting things about my family. I feel it's not really their choice. Do you know right. what I mean? I do. Um, I think they all have a, they can put out there what they want to, but it's not up to me to um, do that for them. I don't think they'd like it if I did. Right. And you know, it is very much focused on my work. My Instagram is very much about my work. It's about the things I like to look at, the things I find beautiful. And I really enjoy that sharing of those things. It's lovely if you see something that you just really, that you just really find pleasing to the eye and then you share it and other people feel the same. That's such a nice feeling. I love that. It feels like a kind of visual community, but I have, it's true. I've never been one of those people who puts personal stuff on Instagram, particularly. I don't know if, I don't know if you'll have a ready response for this, but I wonder if you have any advice for how to build a career at the caliber that you've built one without doing that, because I'll, I'll be honest. It's, I mean, it's a bit of a confession because I am, I do put myself out there, but I would rather not. I really would rather not. And I, I feel so much like it's, such a part of the only way you can get work out nowadays is to put pieces of yourself. I mean, I'm definitely selective about what I share. Yeah. I don't just spill it all. I try to keep the photos of my son to a minimum. Yeah. I'm conscious of these things, but man, I would love to have almost zero online presence, but a beautiful stack of books I have published. <laughs> <laughs> That's really kind of you. I mean, I think it's partly being of that older generation you know, we, we just weren't brought up with the internet. So it's still, it still slightly shocks me how much stuff people put out there about yeah. themselves. Yeah. And as I said earlier, you know, I, I think I am probably quite a private person. I'm probably an introvert, more of an extrovert. Um, and I, I guess I, I've just done what felt right for me. And I think possibly had I been I really don't know Dolores I really don't know maybe if I had put more personal stuff out there maybe I would have more followers I honestly right. I just right. don't know I've just done it how it feels right for me for you yeah um, 
And Which is what we all need to do in what in one way or another. Yeah. You know, I, I even navigate that. I, I do think being of an, an older generation is is a big part of it because yeah. you could um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I would imagine that you were already established before. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that really helped. I mean, I had worked, I I my my well, it was my second job actually, was for a magazine called The World of Interiors, a British mm. magazine that was a real, um, it was a real innovation at the time. It launched in November 81. I joined in 82. So it was still very, very new. And I worked there and I was a features editor there. And I worked there sort of on and off part-time and full-time for about 10 years. And then I went freelance and I still work for them now. And that was a really good grounding, you know, that got me, that got my name out there to some extent that helped me build a network. Then I stopped working for a while when the children were little, and then I just sort of built it up again. Um, So it hasn't really felt necessary for me to do that stuff, but I, I quite understand why people do and why people feel pressurized to do it. And I think I've been, I think I've been quite lucky because I have somehow managed to build what you could call a brand in a very, very small way without needing to do that, you know, which has just been very much to do with the sort of visual side of things rather than the more personal side of things. Yes, absolutely. And, and the, the brand does abide. It's, it's very clear your style, your taste. And, you know, you mentioned earlier, this wonderful feeling of posting things that you find beautiful and having this community that loves it. I'm part of that community. And I know, I know many other people who are as well. And we, of course, and well, thank you, you know, that beauty does feed us. And I think it's something that our world sorely needs more beauty, more beauty, more beauty (laughs) for sure. Yeah. Yeah, It's, it's tough, but you know, I, 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 I know that I have a friend who is a very famous writer and she's older as well. And she has said to me in the past, you know, don't post anything private on Instagram and don't, don't talk about your son or your family. Right. And I just nod my head, but I think to myself, yeah, it's easy for you to say you've been established for 30 years. I know. Yeah. And I think it's a really nice thing to do, but to me, and I'm sure it is a generational thing, that feels quite an alien thing to do. It's like, why, why would I tell all these strangers things that are essentially, you know, semi-private, things I would tell my friends, um, things I would absolutely share with family, but why would I tell a lot of strangers? I think if it's done well, it's a lovely thing to do because I think right. you can really you can really connect with people in a, in a very meaningful way especially if there's something you feel strongly about or something difficult has happened to you and that can help other people that's just not my style you know I I can't do that I can do it with my friends I can do it with my family I just don't feel I can do it online I try I'm a writer myself as well so I try to write try to write in generalizations I know that that's the opposite of what you would tell somebody as a writer, right? You, you don't say be a good writer by generalizing, but in terms of social media posts, I find that if I just write about the, the feeling 
or the implication, yeah. right? Without yeah. writing about the detail of what's happening yeah. to me. That's I can, a great way to do it. Yeah. That's a really great way to do it. And I, I, I mean, I sometimes, I feel a bit inadequate when I look at other people's Instagram and, and, and they have, they've put, you know, really good words with their pictures. And I am a writer, you know, that is what I do. But funny enough, thank you. Um, <laughs> with Instagram, I've always felt, well, the, the picture says it, you know, I don't need to add any words because the picture says what I want to say that I don't use the medium of Instagram to, uh, for words, really, right. you know, I use words in other areas of my work. Thank you for having that conversation with me. I, I think that's helpful for me. And I, and I think it's going to be helpful for a lot of people listening just to kind of understand that, you know, the, the world we're living in versus the one that used to be, <laughs> mm-hmm. and maybe, you know, how to navigate so your different. way in it. It's so different. Yeah. And, you know, and people really, really it is different. And people, yeah. people think that everything you put out there is your life. I, I find that way too often people think that your life is perfect, even if when you're not cultivating that at all, because they're, they have, you have to remember that I am not sharing everything and I don't have to, I have the right to be private. And, and so yeah. many people are leaving out slivers of their life, not because they're trying to, I mean, some people I think are trying to project an image of perfect, of perfection. Sure. Yeah. But anybody who knows my work knows that that is not what I'm into. That's not what I'm doing. However, I'm still not sharing everything with you. It's just. No, absolutely. And I think those, I think there are very blurred lines, aren't there? Absolutely. We all have to be very, very conscious that what you see on something like Instagram is an absolutely edited, curated version of someone's life. And I remember when I first started doing Instagram and it was my younger daughter who said, you should do it, mom. My older daughter, who's a, a pediatrician, was really horrified she said you can't do it mum she said it's awful she said it's it's just showing off you know and occasionally I do sort of think to myself ah yeah maybe it is just showing off bits of my life of course are horrible and messy and difficult and exactly. painful but I don't put that on exactly. Instagram I just put a lovely picture of my dresser or a vase of roses or exactly. and you kind of hope that people people are perceptive enough to to realize that that's the case you know that what you show is a really it's it's just an edited 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 version of real life because I would I do I do hate that feeling that it might be that kind of browsing through you know my gallery or anyone's gallery might make people feel in some way inadequate or or sad or which you would or, never yeah. want right that would never be something you you want no. to make somebody no. else feel and i think the conversation around this has been so focused on changing social media so for instance well then let's all be more honest and be more real but mm. but i kind of think let's all be a little more grown up and yeah. and yeah. right be it you know okay young people that's a totally different story Sure. teenagers I'm talking about adults here yeah let's be yeah. adults and realize that everybody's life is difficult let's be yeah. adults and remember everybody's life is messy and yeah. and there once upon a time that privacy of let my messy let my in Italian you know we have a saying like leave your dirt nobody sees the dirty laundry you don't hang it out to dry 
that, that used to be a, a kind of a virtue, right? That you would keep yeah. your business within your own home. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like that needs to become more of the, the way we handle this. You know, just, just assume I have problems because I do. <laughs> Exactly. I assure you, because I do. do. <laughs> because no one has a perfect life and everyone has bits of their house that are messy and horrid and Exactly. Dirty. But I, know, I don't want I to see do. that from you. I want to see the beautiful yeah, why things. Why would I take a picture of that yeah. and show it to you? I suppose, I don't know, maybe some people would think it would be a kindness to do that. Yeah. I I, I'm, I'm not one of those people. I, I'm assuming <laughs> parts of your house are messy, but yeah. I like I like the pretty things you show. Yeah. That was wonderful. I I didn't expect that to take up so much time, but I think it was really um, an important thing to lay out there. Yeah. Yeah. And um, just know that I admire that you've built that privacy. I I envy it. (laughs) Speaking of. (laughs) So to backtrack a little, of course, this show talks a lot about heritage and tradition and ancestors. And I thought you could start by telling me a little bit about your roots and the people that you come from. Okay. Um, Well, my mother's family were basically artisans, craftsmen, teachers. Mm. Uh, my mother's father was a, a, a woodwork teacher and was absolutely brilliant with his hands. He was a great, great craftsman. And my mum was too, actually, mm. really good at making things and mending things. On my father's side, um, theatre art my great great grandfather was an artist called John Liston Byam Shaw and there's a Byam Shaw school of art in London that was an independent school and then was actually amalgamated into central St Martin's art school so it's still called the Byam Shaw school of art but it actually has been it's not independent anymore Mm. and my grandfather was an actor and a theatre director And my granny was an actress, um, quite a successful stage actress through the sort of 30s and 40s. But, and and again, you're probably too young, but um, people of my generation would know her best because she played Mrs. Bridges, the cook in Upstairs, Mm. Downstairs, in the old series. Yes, yes, yes. I know the I know the series. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, my granny was Mrs. Bridges. I, I have a BritBox subscription, so I I watch a lot of British shows. <laughs> <laughs> they look really really old fashioned now, but you know we used to watch them when we were yes. little. And my granny was actually a really petite woman. She had to wear great big strapped on bosoms to play Mrs. Bridges. Oh, wow. <laughs> Such an artistic family. Yeah, I think she had to pad her cheeks out as well. Oh my goodness. Tiny, very sort of delicate woman. But um, so that's my background. And my mum, you know, was was an antique dealer. Mm. So that's sort of always been part of my life, really. You have uh, an extremely artistic family. I mean, on every, in every inch, on every side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's true. So it's something you were brought up in did you did you feel like you were growing up in an artistic household or just something that it was so common you didn't even think about it um I probably didn't really think about it I mean my in fact my mum didn't start antique dealing until I was in my teens and I we did it together we actually started by going around our house and going um oh I think we could sell that oh I think we could sell that and then we just went to a market with all the things we'd gathered from around the house and sold them and bought other things. And that's how it started. We literally started it together. 
and then she carried on and became very very knowledgeable I went off and did other things um so it's lovely actually that Lizzie you know my younger daughter has picked up that and she is now an antique dealer and I work with her Uh, so so there's a very nice thread going there I think I mean I I from from when I was really really little in a way I think I was quite an odd child because from when I was about seven the only things I wanted for birthday or Christmas were antiques that's what I really yes. <laughs> <laughs> wow so no, you don't granny, hear that often especially I know, nowadays it's a bit, yeah. bit weird isn't it my granny when I was seven gave me a Victorian doll but I still have her who I just loved to bits and I all I wanted was was old things for her mm. old toys and I, I still have quite a lot of that stuff actually that I collected when I was little and I used to go and buy things in antique shops and you could get really nice things for sixpence you could buy really nice things for pocket money so I've been at it for a long time <laughs> That's the kind of daughter I want. Is that making me weird? I, I, if I have a daughter, I want her to be like that. Mommy, old things. <laughs> that goes right to my heart and, and my audience too, I'm sure. They, they get nice. it. Yes. That's well, lovely. I think it sounds a bit peculiar really, but um, but it is true. That is what I like. So. How did you develop your love for interiors? You have a focus on French and English country uh something called eccentric often how did, how did yep. that start again that started really early when I was seven I read a lovely children's book by Rumor Godden called The Doll's House and it's the story of two little girls who inherit an old doll's house um I guess probably a early 19th century doll's house and it's in a really bad state and they very very carefully restore it and they furnish it finding appropriate old bits of furniture and that book just really really caught my imagination it was that whole thing of restoring something that was old and making it beautiful again and again all through my childhood the thing I wanted to do most was go and visit old houses you know um National Trust has taken over many of them now but when I was young the National Trust wasn't such a big thing and you could go and visit historic houses. Often you get shown round by the owners and that was literally my favourite, favourite thing to do. So I am one of those lucky people that ended up with a career mm. that did start as a passion when I was a, when I was a child. And, and, you know, those things, you can't explain why you love them. You just know that you do. And I, I still remember some of the houses I went to see when I was really, really young. And I would just do that thing of imagining what it would have been like, you know, to be a Victorian or to live in the 18th century. Um, So it goes back a long way. And I thought that I wanted to work for museums and then for various reasons that didn't sort of work out. So I was just terribly, my very first job after university was working for an antique dealer. And while I was there, the then deputy editor of the magazine I was talking about earlier, the World of Interiors magazine, came in to do some research. Because I'd met her, that sort of emboldened me to apply for a job at the magazine. Mm. And um, I wrote them a letter saying, you know, I love your magazine. I will do anything for you. (laughs) And they interviewed me to be secretary to the advertising manager. 
And I was working in a very, very, very old fashioned shop in St. James's in London. And I, I was a basically a glorified secretary. And this is going to make me sound so old, but I was working on a typewriter that dates <laughs> back to 1930. It was about this, it was huge. Wow. And you had to t- type on it kind of tap, 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 tap. And when I went for this interview at Interiors, basically the, the very nice man said, you, you've absolutely got the job, but I do need you to do a typing test. And he put me in front of an electric typewriter. I'd never seen an electric typewriter before. I thought it was like, it was like the sort of console of the Starship Enterprise. I didn't <laughs> understand how to use it. And he came back in 20 minutes and, and I, I hadn't managed to type anything. because I, I didn't get the job. And I was very upset and I was walking back down the stairs and I was sort of biting back the tears. And I met someone who was the chief sub editor and got chatting and told him, you know, my tale of woe and how I, I, I loved the magazine and I hadn't got the job. And he said, come and work here, you know, out of hours. That's exactly what I did. I used to finish at the Antique Dinner at four on a Friday and I would go up to the World of Interiors office and just work there doing captions, you know, bit of proofreading, anything that needed doing. And after I'd been doing that for about six months, uh, a job came available in editorial and I was offered the job and that's how it started. And that was like my absolute dream come true because that magazine was about interiors, but it was also about art and fine art and craft. It was just everything that I loved. And I started as an editorial assistant. And then when I left, I was a features editor. And that's really, you know, that that's how my career became focused on writing about interiors. What's remarkable to me about that story as somebody who has lost her way too many times to count that <laughs> you, you seem to have been born with this sensibility, born with this passion, and you really haven't wavered from it. It's been your straight path. I, I find that remarkable. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a straight path. It wasn't an entirely straight path. I mean, I, I definitely read the wrong subject at university. I had a place to read history of art at London. And then, oh, we have such a stupid, complicated system in this country. But I was at a state school that didn't do entrance for Oxford and Cambridge. But because I got very good exam results, I got offered a place at Oxford without having to do the entrance exam. So, you know, I went because Oxford is a prestigious place, but I couldn't do history of art there, which is what I really wanted to do. So I read English. So that was kind of a mistake because I didn't really want to do that. And then when I left, you know, I got this job working for an antique deal and it was pure, pure luck that the deputy editor of the World of Interiors, which was then a new magazine, called in and made me feel brave enough to apply for a job. It was just really good luck. I don't know what I would be doing now if that hadn't happened. Luck helps too. Yeah, luck helps too. It really (laughs) does. It really does. It does. Yeah, I agree. Were you always writing? Was that something you're always interested in as well? Yes, I think I probably was. I wrote a diary all through my teens. Dreadful, dreadful diary. I had to burn them all. They were absolutely (laughs) beautiful. (laughs) So yeah, writing is something I have always done yeah at least you didn't put your diaries on Instagram (laughs) as unfortunately some young women are doing right now and I pray for them yes (laughs) teenage diaries goodness me they're so embarrassing (laughs) oh absolutely agreed 
I, I wonder if you've ever thought about, you know, you, you kind of in passing said a little bit ago that, you know, you, you were a strange quote unquote, strange little girl. And this was always just a passion. You don't really know where you, you picked it up from, but I wonder yeah. if, if you ever feel like it's just something you were born with, or, or you know, you come from this artistic family. Is it just perhaps in your genes? Like we talk a lot about that on this show, how, yeah. right. How we are really the, we're the products of our ancestors. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm sure that's probably right. It does feel like something innate. I mean, I, mm. you know, I, I'm imagining that you have experienced something similar. You, it's really hard to explain why you love the things you love, isn't it? Especially, yes. you know, when you're a child and you're just very drawn to certain things. And I think, you know, I, I was lucky because I had parents who were sensitive to that, you know, who, who, again, if I'd been born with different parents, maybe I wouldn't have had the chance to, you know, to, to sort of indulge that side of my nature. It's, it's hard to say, isn't it? But it certainly does feel like something you're born with. And as I said earlier, I think you're incredibly lucky if as an adult, you are able to create a career from something that you have that innate enthusiasm for you know it's, it's a great thing and I, I have always felt so so lucky that my work is something I really love and that I would do it even if someone didn't pay me to do it probably mm, mm, you know, yeah that's well said lovely it, houses and writing about them what what a what a fantastic thing to be paid to do yeah, absolutely yeah. <laughs> I would agree with that yes and yeah. I will link uh in the show notes to your books and as well to you have a very large catalog online in house and garden you write for them often I write a lot for house and garden I also write pro I probably do write a little bit more for house and garden now than for the world of interiors I mean when I first went freelance I worked for lots of people I worked for them, for all the newspapers I worked for country life I worked for homes and gardens and actually as I've got older and the books have become more of a sort of focus of what I do I've 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 focused down onto the two publications that I guess I feel most comfortable with most at home with and those are the British editions of House and Garden and the World of Interiors and in fact today my house has gone up on the House and Garden website on the oh. online so there's a piece about it so oh, it's been I'll look at that. really professionally photographed instead of my own, you know, iPhone snaps. Yes. <laughs> I'm looking forward to reading that. Get a little yeah, peek no, into your own home. Yeah. Really, really smart. I don't entirely recognize it. I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> so I can take, I can take a stab at articulating what this style is that you're, you, okay. you feature, but I'd rather yeah. you do it if you don't mind, because you, you'll probably give terminology and an eloquence to it that I won't. I mentioned earlier, it's very much this French and English country style. So cottages, old, old world kind of yeah. feel. And that's a main reason why I wanted to have you on the show. My okay. listeners are very interested in, in all of those things. So okay. if you could sum it up and, and let them know what, what actually your, your work um, entails in that sense. Okay, I mean, I, you know, I would like to think that I have quite a sort of broad church in terms of what I like, because actually, I, I do like a lot of things I there are, you know, there are contemporary houses and furnishings that I really like. 
but I suppose where my where my heart is and probably where most of the books are is with period architecture so old houses I mean what I actually like is a mix of the old and new although I guess I do veer more towards the old but I mean we do have quite a few contemporary paintings in the house for example I like that clash between the old and the new and I suppose you would probably have to describe my style as pretty quintessentially English in that it's a little bit scruffy a lot of my stuff is broken I don't mind that you know that mm-hmm. that often means that you can afford something beautiful that yes. you wouldn't be able to afford otherwise mm-hmm. it's quite a mix there's quite a lot of it you know I'm I'm at the opposite end of the scale from minimalist mm-hmm. I guess it's very decorative I think it's probably more English than French I mean I love French style but my own personal style is is certainly more English to the extent that the French tend to be a bit less eclectic. Uh, they're certainly urban French interiors, you know, are often quite controlled. And if they have antique furniture, it will probably be antique furniture, all of a similar style, a similar period. English classic sort of traditional old fashioned English style, which I guess is what you would have to call mine, tends to be much, much more of a mishmash. So, I mean, just looking around me now, I've got a 1950s stool, I've got a late Victorian oak cupboard, I've got a heels table from 1980. It's a complete mix of things. And that's, I like that because I like the informality of that. I like the way you can just see something that you really, really love and you can incorporate it. So you're not going for, you know, you're not going for sort of mid-century modern purity. You're not going for all 18th century oak. You're not going for Regency elegance. It really is a, a little bit of a lot of different things, which... For me, I really like that because it gives you freedom. And obviously you have to be a bit careful how you mix stuff up, but it's amazing what you can put with what and will kind of work. So I love that mixed look as well. And it's interesting that you just, the way you just described the French approach to this, because my favorite book of yours is The Perfect French Country. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that was such a great book to write. Gosh, I I enjoyed writing that. I love flipping through that. And I, and it's interesting how you just described it because I think that that would be more of my sensibility. I don't necessarily need everything to match, but I do need some symmetry, some organizing principle that, that does match, even if it's like gold, gold, gold and black throughout the room, but, but the pieces can all be different. Yeah. And I'm actually speaking to you right now from uh, our house in the Catskill Mountains of upstate New York. And we completely renovated this house ourselves. It's, it's taken us more than a year. It's been a lot of work. Yeah. And we originally laid it out as a kind of mid-century modern meets not a cabin, but kind of like an upscale cabin. Let's put it that yeah. way. Yeah. And then I started to get more into your work and other people. Yes. Other people like you. And what happened was 
I started to realize I, I have this old world style that I'm very attracted to yeah. that I've kind of didn't know where to put. Yeah. Growing up, we were surrounded uh, in my home. My parents are Southern Italian immigrants. So these, you know, big, heavy gold frames with wow. prints of, you know, old okay. fashioned prints of uh, the Virgin Mary and yeah. old worn statues of saints. And I, uh, like you were mentioning when you were a kid, I don't re- ever remember not being attracted to that look. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know where it came from. I have three siblings. None of them share that with me. It's right. right? It's very much my thing. Yeah. So fast forward, we, we create this very minimalist mid-century modern home. Right. <laughs> I'll have to send you some pictures after. Yeah, I'd love, up. To see. Yeah. I'd love to see. I mean, I like what I can see. I love your boarded walls. Yes. Yeah. So really this nice. kind of we started, and then these are some antique photos we found at thrift Lovely. stores, right? That work in. So yeah. I've just been incorporating more of this, not really cottage, but definitely a little more uh, old world antique. Yeah worn like you said before a lot of your things are broken which means you can yep. afford right all of my favorite yep. frames are chipped and scratched yeah <laughs> because if they were in mint condition I wouldn't be able to buy them <laughs> exactly exactly so you, you go to yeah. the antique store and they're hat but yeah. you thought you find a charm in that yeah so I've really been enjoying embracing mixing those two you know the old world and the modern and I there is yeah. something about that French country book it's not very cluttered. No, it's not. I mean, I have to say that is the more that that book, because they're all country houses, it, it's the much more informal end of French style, which I really, right. really like. It's beautiful. I mean, we're not talking chic Parisian apartments. We're talking right. lovely sort of Provencal farmhouses or whatever. And it is a it is a lovely style. And it I mean, p- part of what. I love about it, I'm sure what everybody loves about it, is the way, because of the climate in France, which is mm. very different from the climate here, you right. get that outdoor-indoor thing, you know, that the houses that are um, very much about the way you live in them and you, you eat on a terrace under dappled shade, under a sort of pergola. There's a lovely... Um, they just evoke a lovely sort of relaxed lifestyle where lunch lasts for three hours yes. <laughs> sounds so lovely yeah <laughs> and like delicious wine and it's true yeah. but there is this there's this but there is a an emphasis on elegance in a way this kind of country mm. elegance this relaxed elegance the French are very very good at that they really are I mean I think the English and again I think it is partly to do with climate you know we tend to our houses tend to feel maybe a little bit more kind of cozy, mm. whereas the French, well, right. there'll be a bit more kind of sense of spaciousness and sunniness. And um, mm. and it's cold and rainy often in, in, in Britain. So, it's, yes. Uh, it's very cold and has been very rainy today. Yeah. Yes. I, I think up here now that winter is coming and we're actually in, in the home more often where last winter it was completely gutted, I can mm. see that need to cultivate a kind of more and more of a comfiness because it's cold yeah. outside and there's always Absolutely. a layer of snow. And yeah. so yeah. this, this bare wall, mid-century modern Swedish minimalist thing, it's just, it's not, I'm not feeling it up here no. <laughs> when it's 10 <laughs> degrees out and we have the fire going, you know, you want that yeah. cozy. Absolutely. Feel. 
Yeah. So you'll have to forgive me. I meant to write his name down. Yeah. But I forgot to, but I think I remember it. You feature yeah. uh, an artist named Peter Gabrielis. Am I saying Peter that right? Gabrielsi. Gabrielsi. Yeah. yeah. He's Dutch. Uh, oh, he's right. Okay. Um, yeah. His home yeah. is my obsession in that book. How would you, let's start with, how would you sum up uh, that style? Peter Gabrielsi. Yes. Style. Yes. The featured in that Gosh, that you well, feature I mean, in that book. He's very French, although he has, is actually a Dutchman. I mean, you've got the, it's a beautiful, beautiful house, you know, an 18th century French house. So it's got lovely high ceilings, lovely tall windows, beautiful wide staircase. And quite a lot of his furniture is French. I guess it's a kind of French equivalent of English country house mm. style. And mm. it's also quite a mix, but there's definitely more emphasis on elegance and you know, it, it's very, very photogenic. It's a stunning house. And when we say elegance, I mean, I hope everyone goes and picks up your books, but as you're listening to this, when we say elegance, I don't yeah. want you to picture heavy, pristine gold chandeliers. It's it's a very yeah. rustic elegance. It's a, I guess rustic elegance would be a good description of it. Yeah, because it's quite, um, it, it's not actually terribly cluttered you know it's no. and mm -hmm. there are big rooms with high ceilings and big tall windows and some very elegant pieces of antique french furniture it's a beautiful house it is very beautiful i loved the way he incorporated so much of the religious uh, iconography too. yeah well, that's going back to you and your italian <laughs> yeah i think that's why i'm so attracted oh, to it, it. yeah <laughs> yeah because he he uses it well it's it's so subtle it's but it's tough. powerful the only yeah. thing that unnerved me a little bit was because it's it's just like a uber rustic home the cobwebs you describe are part of the decor <laughs> i think which they is are. not exactly my thing but yeah yeah, yeah. to each well, his I mean, own he's a, you know he's a man who lives on his own i don't right. think housework is always his priority but you can kind of get away with it when you've got a house as beautiful as that. You know, there is a sort of, there is a romance almost to that slight feeling of decay. Mm. And, um, you know, it's like a very mild version of Miss Havisham, isn't it? It's well said. It, there's a yeah. romance in the decay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's what it is. Mm. And that tradition just comes from just the old, the old English country houses, the old French houses. I mean, I know, I know, I know I'm switching here from French to English, but yeah. uh, I, I'm, I would not call myself even a remote expert on any of this, but I do know from just my watching videos on this kind of thing that during, during the war and certainly after the war, many of these beautiful old English country houses were sold and destroyed. Is that correct? Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I guess the, the First World War was the sort of beginning of the decline of the English upper class mm. supremacy, you know, because those big old English houses needed huge numbers of servants to keep them running and to keep them nice. And a lot of those people who had worked in service after the war realised they could do other things. They could work in factories. They didn't actually have to carry coal up five flights of right. stairs, mm -hmm. you know, or yeah. hot water or whatever. But the houses, those houses were absolutely designed to be run by large numbers of servants. So when that 
became when it became much more difficult to get people to do that work those houses became really hard to run and, and and that's why a lot of them have been turned into hotels because in a way if you go and stay in a hotel it's a bit like being living in the beginning of the 20th century you know when you had people doing stuff for you that's what people in hotels do isn't it mm-hmm. and they're not very practical living modules those houses so that did happen and other people just hung on in there you know with maybe one person helping them out and of course there were a lot of cobwebs if you've got 15 bedrooms you know I have trouble yeah I have trouble keeping up with mine and and it's just my house I know that that I can understand yeah you know the focus of this look is really on a kind of comfort and as we mentioned things being already worn in so you don't have this pretense of that's the chair you don't sit on and that's the cup you don't use I think it's a perfect design style for families. So do I, for families and for dogs. I mean, there's something about, there is something very comfortable about things that are not perfect in themselves. I mean, you know that thing of you, you go into a house where everything is absolutely immaculate. Mm-hmm. The upholstery is cream, it's, a, it's pristine. You know, the tables have got polished glass tops. And, and you feel like a bit of a kind of imposition. You worry that when you put your cup of coffee down, it might leave a ring or that, I don't know, you might leave a bit of fluff on the perfect, that there is, there is something very comfortable about living with things that have been well used and well worn. You don't feel that you're going to ruin them. You don't feel that your presence is in any way a threat to them. And obviously, in an ideal world, you get some kind of balance between the well-worn and the well-used and the, I mean, you don't want it to look too grubby and too scruffy, but there's a kind of level of well-worn and well-used, which for me anyway, I just find comfortable and relaxing. You know, it feels like somewhere you can just be and live your life and not have to worry too much about whether you're going to mess it up. I agree. I I try to cultivate that too in my home. You know, you want nice things, but you also want people to walk in and put their, maybe not put their feet up, but feel like they can put their feet up. (laughs) Well, if they take their shoes off, they can put their feet up. Exactly. I I say this with love. My mother-in-law is a little bit of the opposite. You know, she's very welcoming and warm, but she's an old Victorian house and her, but her taste is very much, you have to be very careful when you're in there. Okay. And they have a joke in the family that she just bought new couches. And every time she buys new couches, they are so uncomfortable. (laughs) And my poor father-in-law has to sit on those couches and try to relax after a day of work. You know, they're, they're a very lighthearted family. So it, you know, so they can love They laugh about it. Yes, exactly. Like that's mom, but it's, but it's funny. I guess I, for me, I would rather have a really comfy couch. Yeah, I'm afraid I would. I I am a bit of a cushion plumper. I mean, Mm. I will, I'll sit on my sofa and I'll squash all the cushions. But when I get up and leave the room, I do have to plump the cushions. Right. So they'll be squishy, you know, they'll be soft when you, when you go back. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And so they look nice. How, do you have any tips for how, you know, listeners, me, all of us can kind of cultivate this look, just a, a top three, even? Goodness me. I mean, oh, you know, my, 
my top tip really is always just to just to buy things that you really love mm. you know don't don't buy something because you think you should or because you've seen it in a magazine just try and tap into what you really love and only buy that don't sort of concentrate too hard on creating an impression for other people mm. do what feels right for you if you really like something, have it in your house. You know, it doesn't matter if your neighbor comes in and thinks it's peculiar or if you love it, ha have confidence in your own judgment and your own likes because your home is for you. It's not, it's not for other people. It's, I mean, of course you want to welcome visitors in and obviously you want to welcome your family in, but at the end of the day, what really matters is that it feels good to you. As I get older and, and grow my family, I realize that, first of all, we spend a lot of time in our homes. Yeah. Uh, more so even recently, of course, with coronavirus Absolutely. and yeah. lockdowns. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about you. I get the sense perhaps we might share this in common that you may be a little bit of a homebody. Definitely. Yeah. Yes. So I am definitely a yeah. huge homebody. So the home is really where you spend so much of your time. And if you want to feel joy. And if you want to feel beauty on a regular basis, you have to surround yourself with it in your home. Absolutely. Yeah. That's where and to start. Surround yourself with things that you really love and you may love them because you find them beautiful. You may love them because they were made by your child or because you inherited them from your granny or um, there are lots of different reasons why you might love the things that you surround yourself by. Um, but I think it's, you know, I always find it quite sad when people employ an interior decorator who's mm. very smart, very fashionable, and the interior decorator does something for them that is very smart and very fashionable. But you just think, well, where's the, you know, where are you in this yeah. equation? Where are you as the inhabitant of this space? What, what does it mean to you? Or is it just a status symbol? Mm. Um, I mean, it's, you know, it's always easier said than done all this stuff, isn't it? And it but takes time. I think, especially if you're kind of, time. yeah, to, yeah. If you're I mean, maybe that would be another good bit of advice. Don't rush to buy things. It's hard, you know, if there are things you really need, but when I have made mistakes, it's always been because I've thought, no, I really, really need an armchair there. And, you know, I've bought an armchair just because I need one and because it's, you know, I've, I've seen it and it's quick and easy. And I haven't bought it because I really, really love it. And in a year's time, I'm thinking, I just don't really feel happy mm -hmm. with that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes if you can, it's really good to wait. It's really good to wait and just wait until something really fires you up until you see that thing and you think yeah I love that I really love that you know I'd love to have that in my house again it's easier said than done because sometimes you just need something to sit on yes <laughs> uh, it's a balance it's a hard balance I, yeah, it is. I, I also think it's a great practice in this immediate satisfaction give it to me now at least yeah. here in America, society. Yeah, well, no, I, think, I think everywhere in the sort of wealthy world, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
it's, it's a good practice to kind of step back and say, no, I'm going to wait. And yeah, a bit I of delayed know, gratification. Exactly. Delayed gratification for much more gratification in the long run, you know, yeah. if you can, I mean, sometimes you just need a new spatula, right? You just have yeah, to go to the absolutely. store. And get one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't know if you're familiar with home goods. It's a, I don't know if you have it in, in the UK, but we have a store here, home goods. And I almost every time, almost not all the time, but that I go into that store and I just did this recently. So this is, this is okay. personal. Yep. You know, like confession. I'm not perfect. Here's my point. I just did this. I went in and, and I was like, oh, that that's nice. And I just bought it. It was a piece yeah. of furniture. Yeah. And every time I do that, I have this little bit of regret, just like you said, like over time, because yeah. it's like, it's convenient and it's pretty, but also, oh, what if I had waited and found the perfect piece for that space? It's hard, isn't it? I mean, I guess <laughs> one, one of the reasons I you know, I, I sort of veer towards antiques and vintage is because, because if you do that and you just buy something because you need it or you buy it without really thinking about it and it isn't quite right, you know, it hasn't instantly lost its value. It's mm. not going to go into landfill. Mm, that's right. Because a piece of vintage or antique furniture always has a resale value. So you can, you can sell it again. Maybe you'll lose a little bit, but you were. Whereas if you go into a store like Ikea, do you have Ikea in the We state? do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, you buy a load of stuff because you've got to furnish your flat. Basically, when you fall out of love with that, it hasn't really got any value. So true. Um, and it's not, I mean, I'm not going to diss Ikea. It's an amazing place and it's got a, you know, it's absolutely got its place. It's, I think, what it I does agree. is very clever. But it won't be as well made and it will tragically probably end up in landfill. You know, it's not going to last like something you might buy that's 50 years old or 100 years old or 150 years old. Um, I, I agree with that. Yes. I, I, and I think more and more, I love the idea of furnishing my home, decorating my home with things that will last yeah. And also things that don't contribute to this kind of gluttonous, excessive, absolutely yeah. <laughs> throw out yeah. culture that we're living yeah. in. And, it, you know, it's interesting you say that because I just remembered we walked, my husband was with me and we walked out of home goods and I said to him, I, wow, you just reminded me. I said to him, it is getting more and more difficult for me to go to stores like that. Mm. Mm. because of everything you and I just talked about. But I said yeah. to him, where is all that stuff going to go? It's scary. It it's really scary. All that chipboard, all that upholstery that's just stapled together and made with foam. And actually, you know, again, we're talking about the wealthy first world. We're not talking about, sure. you know, mm -hmm. a lot of parts of the globe. But, but, but our world is full of secondhand furniture. And you can buy a perfectly nice 19th century, certainly in this country, I don't know about the States, but in this country, you can buy a perfectly nice 19th century chest of drawers that will be made with properly seasoned wood that will have mm. dovetail joints and it will be less expensive than buying the equivalent modern thing, which is probably stapled together, is probably made with wood that hasn't been properly seasoned 
and you know in 50 years it's going to look like a piece of rubbish it's whereas uh, the yep. the old one will go on actually probably getting nicer because it was made really well you know by craftsmen and um it, it there's a big big difference and i do i do just feel you know because of the whole environmental thing we really need to think very very carefully about waste and about how we I think that's terribly important in the way we furnish our homes, you know, that we should be buying things that we feel have got real longevity, mm-hmm. things that will last, things that we're not going to want to replace in five or 10 right. years. Well, how many of us have, I mean, I unfortunately don't, but I know a lot of people who have pieces of furniture inherited from their great grandparents, yeah. uh, clothing inherited from their great grandparents. Yeah. I mean, this yeah. uh, cookware, Crocs, these are yep. things that were made to last and to be passed down. And yeah. sometimes when I'm in a store like that, I think, what am I doing right now? <laughs> this is not going to be an heirloom. And and not I understand not everything has to be an heirloom. No, and not everything can be. You know, right. your electric kettle can't be an heirloom. But yeah, yeah, but there's an awful lot of stuff that can be. If we start just kind of ladling more of that into our outlook and our choices, you know, I have this a three-story house I just renovated. I can't wait to furnish it and stock my kitchen with perfect antiques that I find randomly along the way. I had to buy yeah. stuff from Target and Home oh, Goods. Cool. Yeah. Right. But okay, we have yeah. our we, now we're good with that. Now it's really being conscious of what I'm bringing in. And I yeah. think I don't know the last time you were in a store like that, but I think it was the Christmas decor that really set me off. Oh my goodness. Because yeah. I cannot believe, and I love Christmas and Christmas, tour, yeah. I, but I could not believe how much stuff there was. Plastic it's signs. I'm, and I'm thinking yeah. all of these stores in a few weeks, yeah. what happens to all of this stuff? I know. I know. No, it really it's is. Frightening. We are the most voracious consumers, aren't we? You know, we want yep. more and more stuff, more and more new stuff. Um and I, I, do, I, I really do rebel against that. I don't like waste. I don't like, I just don't like waste. I yes. don't like feeling that those things are going to be bought and they're going to be enjoyed for 10 minutes and then they're going to be discarded because right. they're broken or that really does grieve me. Yes. And no. that's, yeah, I felt like that for a long time about things actually. That's not a kind of recent reaction to all the environmental stuff um I've I've always felt like I just don't like waste I don't like things being bought and then Mm -hmm. chucked away well in the kitchen I mean I'm the person who I have a package of cream cheese that's going to go bad so it's you know 11 o'clock at night I'm making a cake (laughs) I can't throw this out you are a woman after my own heart in that case I'm exactly the same I I think it's this old world sensibility you and I both kind of were born with and and I think raised in some way with it's it's this mentality that has been around for pretty much Ever. This new, this mentality we live with now is new. That's the new. It is new. And actually, I mean, I, you know, I, my mom, who was brought up in the war when there was rationing, mm-hmm. I mean, she, she used to really irritate me when I was a <laughs> teenager because she would wash plastic bags. Mm-hmm. And I remember as a teenager thinking, I am never going to do that. I am never. Well, I do. I wash plastic bags. So do now. I. Yeah. We all keep our plastic bags. And actually, my mum was completely right. 
Absolutely. Uh, and that generation did have that mentality because things were very, very short, certainly in Britain. So you kept everything, you saved everything, you mended everything. And I think that's such a good way to be, actually. I, I mean, it's a totally agree. Sometimes, you know, it's a bit of a bore to wash a plastic bag, but it's a good thing to do. But, but it also has this, I guess for people like you and I, it ha- also has this strange reward. Yeah, definitely. It feels definitely. good. It's satisfying, isn't it's it? It's satisfying. Yeah. That's the word. There's this weird satis- satisfaction in that. Yeah. And I, I love reusing things. And I always say on this show, you know, my parents were green before that was a, ter- a term just because yeah. of the way they were raised. They, they grew yeah. up poor in yeah. Southern yeah. Italy. It was a, an agrarian society. They were connected yeah. to the earth. So no food miles, probably. I expect they nope. ate completely local. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. hundred percent. I mean, even when I was a girl and we would go to Southern Italy, when my grandparents were still alive on my paternal side, I remember the old woman on her bicycle drive, um, riding through in the morning, yelling, rigotta, mozzarella. And yeah. she would make the mozzarella, make the rigotta, put it in her and basket. Sell it. Yeah. Sell it. Mm. And that's, you, you don't that's buy anything. Heritage to have. Those are lovely memories. To I'm have. very grateful for it. It's yeah. It's, I bet you are. It's do you speak very, Italian? Do you... I do. I do. Yeah. I speak the, the proper Italian and also the, the regional language that we were raised with the Napolitano. So where, whereabouts in Italy are you from? So family? Na- uh, my family's from below Naples. I'd say about an hour okay. south of Naples in the small okay. towns there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I always feel like my Italian should be better. I, I would love to speak it as easily as I speak English. <laughs> yeah. Well, probably if you went so, to, I mean, you only have to go and live there for a month and I bet you would. It actually. comes back to me whenever I yeah. do go visit, it comes back to me very yeah. quickly, but I'm raising my son. I speak to him pretty much only in Italian and my do husband, you? I do. My husband speaks oh, to him cool. in English. So is he bilingual? He is. He is. I mean, yeah, he's, he's, he is so far what I'm hitting up against. I can tell as he's getting older, it's going to actually be, I hope inspiration for me to keep improving my Italian because yeah. I have to be able to now communicate more complex things to him. Of course. Yeah. So you're um, going to get more sophisticated with your language. Yeah. So instead yeah. of feeling That's a great incentive to do it, isn't it? You just took really? the word out of my mouth. It's a great, yeah. ins- it's a, the, there is no better incentive. <laughs> Absolutely. Then for your own yeah. child, I'm sure yeah, as you I mean, know well. Really great gift to give your children, actually, to be bilingual. I think that's a wonderful thing. Thank you. I know so many Italian Americans who don't. My husband is one of them who don't speak okay. Italian. Oh, and so he's Italian American too. He, we both are. We both are, but he yeah. doesn't speak the language because he comes from an earlier generation that speaking Italian was embarrassing. Oh, so okay. they wanted yeah. just their children to be American. Yeah. Yeah, and to be integrated and not, not sort of to be not that side of your background. Exactly, yeah. to not be eth- ethnic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a hole in his heart. Yeah, it must be because it's an amazing heritage, isn't it? It's a yes. fabulous thing to have. Yes. And you, know, you, you need to celebrate that. It's great. You know, just last night, I, I made a little platter of meats and cheeses and my son kept going to the mozzarella and he kept saying, mozzarella. Mm-hmm. mozzarella and i thought to myself he's got the accent down yeah that's great right that's so i'm great. thinking well done <laughs> yes i'm thinking even yeah. if even if he let's say forgets it all but he gets yeah. to an age where he wants to learn it again 
yeah. he has one. I mean, these languages like Italian, French, the accent is everything. It's, it is. It's everything. It really is. And yeah. it's very difficult to teach if you don't know it. Yeah. Uh, so I just had a moment where I thought, at least he's got that. He hears it. Yeah. What a fantastic grounding. And the thing is, that will give him confidence with the language. You know, you've given him that. He will be able to take it up when he's older. And I, just I hope so. Yeah, no, I'm sure. That's I'm my sure. hope. So I'm putting yeah. in the work. I'm doing all that I can. Well done. Well done. <laughs> so this has been an absolutely lovely conversation. I'm I'm so happy we took the time to sit down and talk. Uh, well, I have asking me of course thank you for joining me I have other questions maybe we'll have a part two at some point but I <laughs> I do <laughs> I do before we sign off uh want you to just talk a little bit about the you have an online antique shop that you yes yeah. you were mentioned in passing that you started with yeah. your your mother and now continue with your daughter could you tell us yeah. a little bit more about that I have a feeling I'll be well, shopping there <laughs> <laughs> it's called it's called perfect English stuff and um I love it that. Really, it just really is things that that I like, that my daughter Elizabeth likes. Um, I mean, she's got a slightly sort of younger take on it. And as I say, it started with my mom as the kind of matriarch, you know, because she was the experienced antique dealer. I guess I, you know, I know quite a lot about antiques because I've I was brought up with them and I worked with my mom for a while. Elizabeth, my daughter, is just learning so quickly she's very artistic she's a she she paints and draws beautifully but um she's kind of come to antiques a little bit later although I guess she's been brought up with them right. like I was and it's just uh you know now my mom's died it's it's just me and Elizabeth together and it's a really lovely collaboration she I have to say it's mostly driven by her I buy things that mm. she sells sometimes I look around my house and think, no, that really, that, that's too cluttered. I've got to get rid of something. <laughs> so then, you know, it's a good way to um, to move things on to other people that like them. And I have to say, we have some absolutely lovely American clients. Really lovely. You Americans are the nicest, nicest people. To oh, I feel like with. we don't hear that often enough. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, you really are. We've got I don't know, half a dozen at least regular, regular buyers who are the nicest people, just really lovely to deal with. So that's um, wonderful. Yeah, have a look. I will. No, I will definitely have a look. And I just actually opened my first Etsy shop. Ah, have you? I'll have to have a look at that. Oh, what an honor. I would love that. I'll send you the link to it. Yes, please. And right now it's stocked with my photographs. So I'm going to start there. But I had been talking to my husband for a while about starting the shop. And among the things I'd like to add in are antiques and vintage items. And then a very good friend of mine the other day after I launched the shop texted me and he said, have you ever thought of curating, you know, vintage pieces and selling them? Because obviously he knows my personality. I said, you know, we were literally just talking about this, but then I look around Cause I think, okay, I love to go to antique stores. I love to go to flea markets, you know, you know, the feeling. Yes. So I think this is perfect for me, but then I just was looking around. I said to my husband, but how am I going to buy things and then let go of them? <laughs> I know It is hard. Well, you just have to get to the stage I've got to where you've got too much. You have too much. Yes. Yeah. 
and that, then you'll be able to let them go. I, I think you're probably right. I think you're right. You just, yeah. When you get to the point where you're, you're like, I either stop going to antique stores yeah. or I start selling yeah. them. Well, that, that's the thing. I mean, the, the, the thing I love about having this shop is that I can still buy things I really love, you know, yes. without feeling terribly, terribly guilty that I'm just kind of adding something else to the already no, I, shelves and cupboards I've got. I completely understand that impetus, which yeah. is why I, I brought up the shop. Absolutely. And, and the thing about antiques is, you know, we do like to shop and we do like to buy new things and you really yeah. can feel, you don't have to feel guilty about it. You can feel good about it because these things so already great. exist. Yeah. Because you're just recycling or upcycling. And I mean, if they're things that you can actually use, not just decorative things and often, you know, antiques are absolutely usable, then even better. Agreed. You know, I, for a long time would see like wooden spoons at the antique stores and I, cause I'm a little bit like I have certain things. I think everybody has their thing, like antique sofa, not really my thing. It's too intimate. You yeah. Know I, I know what you mean. You know I what I mean? What you mean? Yeah. yeah. Too many other people's bottoms have sat on it. Right. And for some people yeah. they don't, that's fine with them. They get there and they're, I think they look beautiful, but for me, it's too much. You can get them reupholstered. That's, that's true. Yeah. And I honestly think the frames are really beautifully made. Exactly. Fabulous horsehair stuffing. You could get it completely reupholstered and then it would feel like the perfect sort of mix of old and new. That's such a great tip. It's, it's true. And I think when you start getting into this, you more and more also start doing these projects for yourself. Yeah. We have two chairs, these beautiful chairs that have no seat. And so I told my husband, he's going to cut out the wood. I'm going to buy, find some nice upholstery fabric and I'm just okay. going to redo them myself. Yeah. And that is super satisfying, isn't it? Because then you've kind of, you know, it becomes your own creation almost, doesn't it? It's a Absolutely. collaboration with someone from the past, you know, and you've added your own bit. Yeah, you um, get it. We're, we're yeah. kindred spirits here. <laughs> <laughs> well, lastly, are you working on, is there another book coming? Are you thinking about it? moment actually no for the first time in a long time I don't have a book in the pipeline I mean the last one that I in fact I wrote in when we were in lockdown during Mm. the pandemic and it was it's called perfect English style and it was almost like a kind of a summing up of what the other perfect English books were talking about and it was funny because until I wrote it, I didn't realize I had quite so many bees in my bonnet about things. <laughs> it was like, you know, it was almost like a kind of decorating manifesto. I really enjoyed writing it. Uh, so that kind of felt like a bit of a full stop on that series of books. I have got, I have got a few ideas. I, I expect I'll do something else at some stage. I mean, at the moment, I'm busy with the shop. I do quite a lot of freelance writing. So I've got plenty. Oh, yeah, I've you got- keep yourself busy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I, I will link to your shop and the books that you Thank have you. written. I can't link to your website you. because you don't, you don't have a, a personal no, website I unless I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> and your Instagram, of course, I hope everybody checks out. Uh, Roz, this was a, a wonderful conversation. I'm, I'm so grateful that you joined me. Thank no, it's you. It's really lovely to talk to you. It's been a great pleasure to meet you actually. Really, really nice. Yeah, and that well done for everything you do. I think it's great. Thank you. Okay. Thanks Dolores. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Roz Abayam Shaw. Thank you for joining me. Just a reminder, you can find me on Instagram at Dolores underscore Alfieri underscore Taranto. 
please consider subscribing to the show if you haven't already. And please consider leaving a review on iTunes. You can learn more about me as well as the show by visiting bellafigurapodcast.com. Here's to knowing your roots and cultivating a beautiful life from their power. <laughs>